Welcome back to the Her Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hager, and I am so excited to be kicking off an interview series that I got inspired to do as I realized that so many women have some inspiring as hell stories to share. Our first interview is with Jade Roca. She is a San Diego-based floral designer and owner of Mindful Magnolia. She is going to be getting real, real and vulnerable with us about her struggles and overcoming of addiction and how that place of darkness led to the most beautiful revival into entrepreneurship and living out her purpose. So I am so excited to share her story with you. Let's kick it off. I'm so excited to have you on the Her Revival podcast today. Um, Your story is super inspiring to me, and I cannot think of a better person to have as my first interview. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Me too. So let's jump into it. I want to know all about life before Mindful Magnolia. So what was life like for you, and how did it lead you to starting your own business? Oh boy. Um, life before Mindful Magnolia. Well, my life, especially in the last seven years of my 20s, has been quite the roller coaster. Um, you know, I went to, went to college in San Francisco and then lived abroad for a while in Europe and Central America and got a lot of traveling in. Um, you know, was a big party girl for a long time. Yeah. That was a big part of my my life, even in and out of college. Um, and when I moved home from living in Costa Rica, I ended up getting engaged to my ex fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I had actually known that I was pretty much developing a drug problem before I met him. I had tried treatment when I was twenty one, um, but you know, I always thought I was just a party girl. I thought I could just take it right I was was a little tank yeah yeah um but I was experiencing some you know signs that it was actually a true problem um and 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 rehab at 21 didn't didn't stick obviously but when I got engaged it was a very toxic relationship and um you know I didn't see that at the time but I was actually you know, in, in the depth of a, an abusive relationship. And, yeah. you know, I'm thank thank God I ended up getting out of that situation and leaving him, but yeah. leaving that relationship was heart crushing to me. It actually, it, you know, it rocked my world so hard. It took me on like the, the hardest bender of my drug addiction, but for sure. Um, and yeah, the minute I started using drugs for, pain rather than recreation Mm -hmm. you know stuff hit the fan and I knew that a year went by after that and then one day I decided enough was enough it was very much time to get seek treatment and um I went to rehab and I spent 11 months in an intensive outpatient program at a women's recovery center here in San Diego um I quit my job. I was, you know, in treatment full time, really clearing out the pain and the, and the gutters of myself to get back to this, you know, vulnerable, hurting inner child that was lost for a long time. And in that, in that time of healing and in sobriety, I mean, God, getting sober was by far the hardest thing I've ever, ever, ever done. Um, But completely worth it, obviously. 
And in that time, I found flowers. I would, um, I would buy myself a bouquet every week, whether that would be a great week or one of the harder, really hard weeks. Yeah. And um, come home and cut them up a little bit and rearrange them in my house. And Yeah, so that was a happy thing for you at that time. Yeah, they quickly became a symbol for me of yeah. strength, beauty, and growth. I love that. And I, I would look at them and, you know, kind of ask myself, like, where did they grow out of? How long did it take for those, you know, those first seedlings to come up and out of the ground? How long did it take for the stems to stabilize and get strong enough? And ultimately, how long did it take for it to bloom? And it became a symbol of, you know, all of us. Yeah. That, um, is, that is so beautiful. I love that. I love, you're reminding me of, and I know I had, you, we both read Light is the New Black, and I don't know if this was before or after you went through all this, but she talks oh, about so good. Mm-hmm. buying herself peonies because they were her favorite. And that was like her mm-hmm. little thing that lit her up. Um, and I totally just, actually, you recommended that book to me, yes. like probably like right around my first 30 days of sobriety. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. Game so changer. what was, okay. Fast forward a little bit. So when did you, how did that transition into, oh my gosh, I think I could make, make something of this. Um, mm-hmm. What did that look like and how did that happen? So um, around my eighth month in treatment, I was, um, yeah, around eight months, I had thrown my, my best friend down here in town, um, her surprise baby shower. And for that shower, I did about like 10 centerpieces um, out of my kitchen. And I just like fell in love with it. it. Hours had gone by and I was designing and I just absolutely knew I kind of found it. It just, it clicked for me. Yeah. Um, and the feedback at the shower was, you know, really nice about the design and everybody loved them. And I was like, okay, well, this is the perfect time to like relate to something that I love doing and, you know, take, take off on this. And yeah. um, the next day, October 1st, Mindful Magnolia was born. I started the Instagram. That was the very first thing I ever did for the business. So cool. Um, and I ended up getting two big corporate clients last, last winter, last holiday season. And they had ordered a lot of marketing, like gifts, holiday wreaths for their clients. Yeah. So that really was like, those, that was my first paid job ever um, in the business as a florist. And um, that really kind of helped, helped me get through the holiday season. And then when I graduated my treatment program, like the first week of January, um, I just started like hitting the wedding industry in town, like a ton of bricks. I was at every single bridal show, every industry yeah. event, you know, got business cards made, did a couple of photo shoots, style shoots with other vendors, just reached out, like got my face in front of as many people as I possibly could have. And yeah. just started getting my, my brand out there and yeah. momentum, momentum started from there. So how did you name Mindful Magnolia? Where did that come from? Is that related to anything in particular? Yes, I think it was, you know, really tied into um, the fabricated spiritual practice that I had learned to make a part of my daily routine in in treatment and in sobriety. And in this, you know, year of like massive growth for me, I heavily relied on my spiritual practice and my connection to being mindful in my meditations and Mm -hmm. to connecting to, you know, the stones and the crystals I was working with and um, yeah, being you know, this of all of it, yeah, yeah, being mindful of all of it and just always kind of 
being grounded in the sense of, you know, hum- humbled where I came from and always referring back to that place. Right. Um, and I love Magnolias. So, yeah, that is so cool. So what did, how big of an impact did that spirituality piece have on your recovery? And even now, I mean, is that, is that a huge oh my part? Gosh. <laughs> I know. So crazy. <laughs> you know, we're talking about reading that book. Um, and that's just one of many, you know, many books I've read. And then I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love reading, especially, yeah. you know, wonderful new age self-help books. They're amazing. Everybody's so great out there right now. Um, but yeah, I would, I mean, I had to reprogram how I dealt with my emotions. That's what really, that's what sobriety teaches you at yeah. its core. Right. You know, for the first time you have, you don't have the substance that you're using to numb anything, be it, be it pain or anger or happiness even, you yeah. don't get to have a celebratory, you know, right. excuse for it. Yeah. Um, and so in that, in that very uncomfortable stage of my life, I had to turn to something. And of course, in treatment and the program, you know, let go and let God is a very big um, underlying message in the AA and NA communities. And, um, you know, I never really completely aligned with the God word, but I knew that that could be anything that could be universal to whatever I would define that is that was for me. Um, and that became the universe. I started, I also read, um, you can heal your life by Louise Hay. Yeah. Somebody just recommended and, that book to me the other day. That's so funny. Amazing, I need to buy it. Amazing. That's the second time this week. So yeah, she, yeah, <laughs> she, uh, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's very, um, in the book, she really teaches you how to affirm and speak yeah. to yourself in a positive way rather than a negative way. Yeah. And I started testing it on myself. There was a perfect example of uh, testing the spiritual, the beginnings of my spirituality with um, my insomnia because I had a lot of trouble sleeping before and during and after treatment. Right. It's just naturally, I just have trouble sleeping and I would use in the back of her book. She has this list of affirmations and one of them was an affirmation for insomnia. And I would repeat that every night, every night, every night. And um, it helped me sleep. And that was like the first time I'm like, my mind is powerful. Yeah. So um, powerful. So powerful. And I can connect to that. There's some, there's some inner wisdom. And when I look back at it now, I don't know why I left him. I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. But it was because of some inner wisdom. Yeah. You know, everything at that moment was telling me to stay. hmm um, you know, as most victims of physical abuse and emotional abuse do, right. but for some reason, some sort of inner wisdom told me, no, you don't need to do this. You, you can build something better for yourself. Right. Um, yeah, that's, so huge. I just, I just started to connect to, to the universe really and test manifestations and start speaking much more positively to myself and to others. And my life really turned around. Like it yeah. really, really, really did. And um, spirituality has been probably the most and biggest driving factor. I mean, even today I had a, I had a meeting, we were talking about it today, just feeling so supported by the universe is the greatest gift I've ever been given for sure. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I have goosebumps. (laughs) I love talking about this stuff. Um, so I love that you, you've used the word vulnerable a couple of times. 
And I know, I mean, I, in my journey too, like being vulnerable and being authentic and really taking a look at yourself in order to make a big change like that, you have to be vulnerable and you have to just get really freaking real <laughs> with yourself and your habits oh, yeah. and whatever you're doing. Right. So how have you navigated that as far as like, you know, I know there's, I know it's getting better, I would say, but there is a stigma around addiction and struggles with that and everything. So how have you been able to really like just kind of harness and own that and make that a part of your story? Cause it's obviously super inspiring and it's a huge part of where you have been. Um, and I know um, you shared it before, right? Your story. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And you know, with this, with moving forward, yeah, I'm, I'm totally an open book. You know, I want to, I want to help inspire and empower other women yeah. to be the absolute best versions of themselves because it's absolutely possible for each and every one of us. Totally. Um, but back to your question about vulnerability and getting real and honest with myself. I had, I'd been hitting it hard for probably 12 years. I started the hard stuff really young. Um, and in the back of my mind, I mean, I have addiction in my family. I knew it was a slippery slope. I knew what, you know, right. But at the same time I was an addict, so I didn't have control over it. And, you know, I really knew that a lot of that was like weight loss. You know, a lot of it was like self image stuff. Mm -hmm. Like why I was so addicted to Adderall and cocaine was because these were uppers and kept me thin you know? Yeah. So there's Um, other underlying things there. So at at the time that I decided to enter treatment, it was my body. It was, it was, it was time and it was a shift and my body and my soul had had enough with my psyche. And they were like, no, 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 you're done. You are done. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just kind of broke down. I was the, the month before I was having panic attacks every day. I was hallucinating. I was seeing freaking men in my house that weren't there. I had extreme, you know, paranoia of demons, which right. I had for years, but it was really bad. Um, and I just threw my hands up in the air and it was actually what my boss at the time at the restaurant I was working at was like really monumental and, and helping me seek treatment. She was really relatable to me. And then I was just tired. I was, I was just tired of the pain that I had been living in for so long. Um, and I knew that in order to get better, all of those wounds had to breathe and heal. And the bandaid had to get ripped off at some point. I knew, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew my body was going to hate me for it for a little bit. Right. Um, but I also knew that I was meant for something bigger than this. Yeah. You know, I also back to that inner wisdom, you know, I think all of us can have that ability to tap inward and, and realize, you know, whatever we want to achieve, it's right there. Um, yeah, we are so just, powerful. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. So you mentioned your boss. Um, and that just made me think what other ways, like how else has community played a role in your, not even just in your addiction stage, but coming into mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur and starting your own business and doing all the things like how has community fit in with all of that? How important has it been? Oh my gosh. I could talk about community all day. Um, it is so community is, I think is just as powerful as the self. Right. And I think that as humans, I think that we are much more, um, successful and prosperous when we have a sense of community, when we belong to a community, a tribe, yeah. so to speak. Right. So in treatment, I became a part of the sober community in AA and NA. Um, 
And that was an amazing experience. And I have bonds that I'll have for the rest of my life. Um, I did a year sober. And when I, when I left my program, um, you know, a lot of that stigma, I was judged really heavily for leaving overnight. And I lost pretty much that entire community overnight. Wow. Um, and so when that happened, you know, I had this massive um, loss of community, that sense of not belonging. And I redirected all of that straight into my business. And I started finding a new one, finding a new one to help me reach my, my next goal, which was to get this business off, up and off the ground. Yeah. And I started joining entrepreneurship groups, women leadership groups, business networking groups, um, you know, anything you could name it. All these events that were, we have a lot of awesome, awesome collectives here in San Diego. Some badass women are doing some really cool things here. And I would yeah. just reach out and show up basically. Right. Um, you know, and that's been monumental to not only the business's success, but you know, my well-being too. Having that yeah. sense of placement and um, sense of community back has been absolutely critical for moving forward. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. And what a cool way for you to channel all of that energy, you know, because obviously mm-hmm. recovery is a lifetime thing. You know, you don't just do the 12 months and then, you know, this is something that you will have with you for the rest of your life. But the fact that you have mm-hmm. found your passion and something that you just love doing, like you said, you were arranging flowers and like time stood still. And it was just like, you know, you were just engulfed in that. Um, how, and I, what did you, okay. So you went to college, what did you go to college for? And, um, how does it feel to be working in a, in an industry that you're passionate about in comparison to like what you got your degree for? Like, is there a difference in that? <laughs> how does that feel? Tell us about that. Oh, greatest gift of all. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went to San Francisco State and I studied business, actually, business and marketing. Um, so when I graduated, I went into marketing and I was a business development manager for a restoration company. It was like fire and water damage um, restoration. And I, would, I was in marketing for that, that type of industry. Um, and I hated it. You know, I knew that it wasn't for me. Um, I did enjoy the marketing and sales component because I do like being in front of people and, you know, running around and touching base with my clients in that, in that sense. But I wasn't in any way passionate about restoration. Um, you know, and I think my whole life, it's been really hard for me to show up and give my full attention or full energy on somebody else's time. Yeah. That has always been very difficult for me. Um, you know, and that mix with being a drug addict, I would make any excuse in the book not to go to work when it wasn't for myself. Right. Like, calling out of work here, calling out of work there. Um, and I think that w- was helpful in the moment of finding Mindful Magnolia. I was like, okay, if I absolutely, like you just said, time stood still. If I loved this so much and, you know, how many hours went by and I didn't blink, I could do this all day. I could do this 24 hours a day and be fine. Yeah. Um, and I had never felt that before with anything. Right. And, you know, I wanted to grab onto that as tight as I could and not let go. It is like the best gift ever. Um, and I talk about this in one of, yeah, one of my other episodes about finding that. And sometimes it can be so frustrating when you know, you want to do something that you haven't found it yet or whatever, you know, and that just goes back to following what lights you up. You know, you started buying flowers and then you arrange them and then 
you, you know, you enjoyed that mm. and did the baby shower or whatever. And like, you just have to go towards those little nudges, you know? And I think that that's, it seems so simple, but it's so powerful and it's incredible when you finally step into that and you just go, Oh my gosh, like, this is it. This is my thing, you know? Yeah. And what you, what you just said about like having all this energy inside of you and not knowing where to put it, not yeah. knowing what your purpose is. That was, oh my God, I can relate to that so much. Like, you know, I think a lot of us experience this when we do find our passion, like upon reflection, I don't know if you can relate. I'm sure you can, but always having, I've always felt like I've had this flame in the, my belly flickering yes. and never, ever has it gone out. And it was just like, what is it? I know I'm meant to do something. I know I'm meant to do something. What is it? And it's actually like very painful yeah. to have that in you the whole time of you not knowing what your purpose is. Right. It, it was extremely frustrating and actually like kind of depressing to me because I can't, I couldn't find it. Yeah. I traveled the world. I lived here. I did this, you know, I was yeah, trying you've done so all much. Things. Yeah. I was trying so eagerly to, to grasp, to grasp that and to figure that out. Um, and I know now that everything that happened in my story happened exactly the way it should have exactly at the exact time it should have, because that's what led me to this. And I would not have been led here otherwise. Right. So if anybody is struggling with having that flame burning, you know, the only advice that I can, that I could give in that scenario is get quiet get quiet and tap into yourself and wait for the signs. Yeah. But get into a space where you can be extremely receptive to the universe and what it has for you. You know, mm -hmm. journal that shit out, like meditate, you know, mm -hmm. do all of your homework and do what you need to do for you, but get quiet and listen because the signs are there. Always. And sometimes it's not these big blatant synchronicities or signs, you know, sometimes it's these little nudges and mm -hmm. for me, for a long time, I was overlooking those things because I'm a planner and I want to see the whole entire scenario played out in my head before I say I'll do something or before I go for it, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So you just really have to get, you have to start to trust yourself and really just know that those little things are there for a reason, you know? And that's such a good point, what you just said in terms of entrepreneurship, you yeah. know, I'm the same way when it comes to like big picture stuff. When I'm looking down the road, I'm like, I want all of this tomorrow. And I don't want to start until I have the perfect strategy to get it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that that can get very overwhelming for us on our entrepreneurs as well, because we have to start somewhere and yeah. the road's the road's probably going to redirect itself down the line, you know, not to be exactly how we have it in our heads, but we have to take the next designated step we have to keep going in some form or fashion yep you got to take messy action just yeah. messy inspired action um <laughs> so what do you think was the biggest challenge for you in overcoming this past identity of yourself with addiction and and feeling lost and not knowing what you want to do um, and coming into this new place of alignment and just like, obviously you're so obsessed with what you do. You're doing really well. Um, what was your biggest challenge in that and how did you overcome it? My biggest challenge was, um, isolation and pain. You know, I was in order for me to get sober, I had to completely remove myself from my previous life. Yeah. I didn't see anybody that I used to see or hang out with you know, couldn't go out to any of the places that I used to frequent yeah. or get messed up at. 
you know, I had to completely be alone. I mean, the first four days, I, I couldn't, I wasn't able to get into an inpatient program the day I was supposed to leave for rehab because of my health insurance. Um, and I had already flushed all the drugs and alcohol in my house and my family was actually out of town. So I had to drive home. My best friend had to drop me off. I had to bolt the door to my apartment and detox alone in my house for four days. Wow. And it was just like, holy crap. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. So I think like the biggest struggle was um, isolation and feeling alone. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's such a raw place to be that everything hurts. So it's hard to really pinpoint what the hardest um, part of that was. But as far as like moving into this new identity, what's been, what's been the biggest, I guess, epiphany or revelation for me is that I don't need anybody else's opinion. You know, I don't need anybody's judgment, anybody's opinion. I don't need anybody to validate my worth or my progress or my success. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of the friend that I'm able to be, to be of service to others. Um, and I'm now definitely proud of my, my work and my design and my business. And, um, you know, I just have been able through a lot of work to get to a place where I can be completely unapologetically myself. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love everything that you just said, especially about not having to have anyone else validate your worth. Like that is just, that hit me and I, I can relate so much. So thank you so much for being here. Before I let you go, I just want to close this out with some advice for your old self. You know, so much of the revival is transforming into this new version of who you are. And if you could tell the old Jade before Mindful Magnolia, before, you know, coming to this realization of what you are on this earth to do, what advice would you give her? Uh, I would tell her to keep calm and carry on, to stay patient um, and to embrace her feelings rather than trying to hide them or create, make them into something else. You know, I wish I could go back and just hug myself and say, if you're upset, be upset. If you're angry, be angry. If you're pissed or sad and feel those feelings through and through you're human and humans feel. Um, and the only way to, to heal from things is to feel them through, um, and worthy, you know? Stay worthy to yourself. No one's going to love you as much as you can. Yes, I love that so much. Oh, I love yeah. all of it. Thank you so <laughs> much for joining me tonight. I had so Thank much fun. Thank you so much. This yes. is amazing. Um, I just want to say I've been following you very avidly as well, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so inspired by you, and you're doing incredible things, and I'm so honored to be the first interviewee on your amazing freaking podcast and I cannot wait for what's next for you it's gonna be amazing you're killing it girl I love you thank you so much thank you for tuning in to another episode of the her revival podcast I am so grateful for each and every one of you that takes the time to tune in with me Here's some inspiring info. And if you have not had a chance to subscribe to my channel, please make sure and do that so you can get notifications when I drop new episodes. 
Um, if you could take a second to leave a rating and a review with some feedback or some thoughts of something inspired you, I would love to hear it. And do not forget to tag me on your social media. If you share it in your stories or with a friend, your feedback means the world to me. See you next time.